Hello and welcome to this Endo Life. I'm Jessica Duffin. I'm an Endo Warrior and Endo Health Coach, and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always, this podcast is here for educational purposes only. Please consult your medical practitioner before making any nutritional changes or bringing in any supplements. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to give a shout out to my lovely sponsors at BU. And I wanted to tell you about their new bath bombs, which are naturally made and contain beautiful essential oils. And their peppermint and eucalyptus essential oils um, bath bomb is doing so well right now with endometriosis community. They're getting loads of feedback about it. And, you know, if you love the patches themselves you're going to love the bath bombs because essentially it's (laughs) the patch in a bath bomb um so you know if you're on your period or if you're in pain you could have a bath with some of the bath bombs or one of them i don't know you could have multiple if you want um and then yeah get out the bath maybe rub in some cbd balm and put your patch on top, which is um, what a lot of people are feeding back that they're doing. So um, I would love to do that, but um, I don't have a bath, so I can't. But if you have a bath, um, then, you know, I think these new bath bombs could be a lovely way to help alleviate some of your pain. So if you'd like to check them out, you can go to BU which is buonline.co.uk and you can also order them from anywhere in the world on cultbeauty.co.uk and they deliver worldwide. So before we dive into today's episode, I wanted to give a shout out to the lovely girls at Semaine. They are two sisters with endometriosis. They've been on the show before and they founded Semaine, which is a supplement company for people with periods to originally, their first supplement was to aid with PMS and period pain. And I know that it is a lifesaver for so many people with endometriosis and painful periods. I absolutely love that supplement. It's really helped me when I've had to kind of follow protocols for SIBO or, you know, I've had a stressful time and I've been worried about my period. I've been able to avoid a flare with that supplement and they've always been so kind and um, kindly sent me sent me them when I when I've needed them. And now they've come out with a new supplement called the Daily, and it is a hormone balancing supplement, which is designed to help with healthy skin, stable mood, fewer cravings in your luteal phase, blood sugar balance. And they recently gifted it to me. Honestly, I said this to my client the other day. My blood sugar levels have never felt so stable as they did when I was taking that day, daily supplement. As you guys know, I I work very hard to stabilize my blood sugar levels because that will keep inflammation down and it also ensures that you have healthy balanced hormones. It's, it's really, really key. And I have a history of having really unstable blood sugar. Originally growing up, it was because of my eating disorder. But then in later years, it was much more down to firstly following a vegan diet when I didn't understand how to build my plate, a healthy blood sugar balancing plate. And secondly, because of my microbiome and my microbiome because of SIBO is 
built to actually extract more glucose from my food and cause blood sugar instability. This is actually a really key piece of blood sugar. If your blood sugar is resisting all of the strategies you're trying, that is a massive clue that your microbiome is affecting the way that your blood sugar is is being controlled in your body. So we need to work on that, work on your gut. And mine has improved mine has improved massively, but I still react much more um erratically than someone else would to blood sugar fluctuations. And I couldn't believe the difference. It was like I had a whole month of like stable blood sugar. It was incredible. And as a result, I had much more of a healthier cycle. I felt a lot more satisfied. I had less food cravings. I just felt a lot more stable in energy. So I'm a really big fan of this. And as I said, blood sugar is a huge piece to managing your hormones, hence why blood sugar is such a big part of their their supplement. So the girls have kindly given me a discount code for you guys. It will get you 20% off your first um, order, whether that's the daily or the PMS and period support capsules. And the code is ENDOLIFE, one word, all caps. So E-N-D-O-L-I-F-E. And that code is valid for the next six months, I believe. So you can use it at any time. Um, So let me know how you get on with them. I'd love to hear if you find them as amazing as I did. And I hope that they bring you a happier and healthier cycle and period. Hi, everyone. So I am recording in our new accommodation. Yes, another one. (laughs) We're here for a couple of weeks now, though. So we've got like four weeks to settle. It might sound a bit echoey because it actually has really high ceilings. So, yeah, this might sound a little bit weird. But I am so excited about today's episode I mean, I say this every time, but I'm really excited about this, this episode. Today's interview is with Cheryl Woodman, and she is a scientist, award-winning skincare formulator, acne expert, and the creator of Honesty for Your Skin. So she creates a safe space where you can find science-based skin help, especially if you have hormonal acne. And I invited Cheryl on the show because so many of you have shown an interest in skincare when I've talked about it and have reported like inflammatory skin issues, especially hormonal acne, rosacea and eczema. So today's episode isn't about rosacea or eczema. I do talk about those on my Instagram if you want to go and check them out. Today's episode is about hormonal acne specifically. What could cause hormonal acne? Which hormonal imbalances to look out for? And what are the conventional treatments versus the natural treatments and which one of these work and are effective in the long term? Because some of them will give you short-term relief, but not long-term relief. So we go off on so many tangents in this episode, but I think that they are all relevant and related to the experiences that uh, we have as a community with chronic illnesses that can affect skincare and confidence and so many other areas of our lives. And Cheryl has actually gone through her own experience with hormonal acne, and so she really understands firsthand the struggle with that 
I have had a lot of skin issues in the past. I've never had full-blown hormonal acne, but you'll hear my experiences and you'll hear what I'm going through at the moment. So um, I hope that this is an episode that is not an episode that's just talking about all of these unrealistic skincare methods and more crazy routines to add to your skincare regime, but actually practical, realistic advice and also root cause resolution. So um, without further ado, I'm going to let you get to the episode because it's a long one and it is full of amazing information. Okay, so Cheryl, thank you so much for being here and welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited for our chat today. Yeah, it's definitely been strange. I don't know, just a coincidence and perfect timing that we've managed to have this cool today I feel like the universe has arranged us to to come together so um thank you for being here at like last minute yeah it's my pleasure it's the best way to be impromptu yeah (laughs) (laughs) so for anyone who's not familiar with your work could you introduce yourself and you know the work that you do in the world we actually haven't had a skin coach on the show but I've been Mm dying to have someone on so and I did like a little series on endometriosis and skin on um the on my Instagram so I think people are going to be really fascinated to hear what you do Mm, yeah so I'm a scientist by training and I've specialized in skin health and more specifically in acne I'm Mm. also a skincare formulator which gives me this really unique perspective because not only am I exposed to the most recent research within the field of skincare, but I also understand skincare as a formula. So for example, if you were trying to choose a healthy food at the supermarket, you would look at the ingredients list and you'd look to see, are there refined vegetable oils in the mixture? Are there artificial sweeteners or sugars? And that's what I understand on a skincare ingredients list. I understand why all those ingredients are there, if they're going to help to clear acne, if they're going to block your pores and make acne worse. Um, And that's actually a common misconception of what a dermatologist does. So a dermatologist is more like a doctor in that they are trained in what medications can be used to treat a set of skin symptoms. They're not necessarily trained in skincare formulations. They don't necessarily understand Mm. all the different ingredients and actives that can be used topically. Um, And I do what I do because I have struggled with my own skin health in the past. So I ironically never had bad skin as a teenager. But for me, it started as an adult. It was actually my final year at university and I started breaking out. And I didn't think too much of it at the time because I hadn't had breakouts before. And I thought it was just one of those things and they were going to go away. And I turned to the traditional products like anti-acne face washes and salicylic Mm -hmm. acid face pads. And they seemed like they were helping a little bit. They more dry out your skin and your spots so that they heal a bit more quickly. But I did just end up in this cycle of healing breakouts only for more to be coming back. And then my skin to be really oily and dehydrated at the same time. And it went on for a few years And then eventually it propagated in these huge inflamed cystic acne breakouts that I was getting on my jawline, you know, the ones that 
come up like Mount Vesuvius and (laughs) are really hard to cover with makeup and they're painful and they're red and I was barely healing a couple of them before more were popping up and um for me it really I have a couple of really vivid memories one of them I was at the time working a corporate job and I had about an hour's commute home it was winter And I just remember it being so cold, getting in my car, getting on the motorway and just wanting to be home as soon as possible so I could wash my face because it just felt so oily. I'd been trying to cover up my breakouts with makeup and towards the end of the day, that makeup would just look really patchy. It would be sweating out of my skin because of the oil my skin was making. And it's just so hard to cover. I just wanted to be home so I could wash my face and feel clean. Yeah, um, I know that feeling so well. Yeah, gosh, (laughs) it's it's so weird how you can feel so horrible in your skin sometimes. Mm. I remember getting home and I washed my face and I looked in the mirror. I just had this horrible, like sinking feeling in my chest. I looked in the mirror, just thought, is this going to be my skin forever? And it was one of those moments where you realize how much it's impacting you. And it was really affecting my self-esteem and my confidence. So I decided I was going to look for help and I decided to go and see a pharmacist in um, a local pharmacy near where I worked. I was so worried about anybody from work being in there and overhearing my conversations. So I built up the guts to do this. I went over to the pharmacist and explained to him and I remember his words so clearly. I didn't expect to hear anything like this, but he said to me, there's nothing that can be done. You're just going to have to accept and live with it. (gasps) Yeah. And that just felt like a dagger being plunged into my heart. I just had this wave of panic come over me. I wasn't expecting somebody to say that to me. And I also wasn't prepared to accept that I'd have to live with acne for the rest of my life. So I pushed him a bit harder and he eventually went into his back cupboard and brought out this bottle and he said this might help with your acne but be careful because it can bleach your skin and Mm. I was so embarrassed at the time I just brought that bottle and I was also so scared of what he'd warned me about that I left it in my bathroom cabinet and I never used it but I did that was the moment for me where I thought no something can be done like I'm a scientist I know this is happening for a reason I just have to understand what that reason is so I can reverse it and so Mm. I delved into scientific literature and over The next year or so, I made educated changes to my skincare diet and lifestyle that did eventually clear my skin. And so this is what I do now. I help women to hopefully never feel like I did in that moment with the pharmacist um, and to get clear skin by supporting your body's own natural biology. That's such an incredible story. And you know what? It really saddens me that, I mean, most, I mean... I think the only guy who's come on the podcast is Corey and my boyfriend. So, you know, 99.9% of people who come on the podcast are, are female. Mm-hmm. And it really doesn't matter what everything that we talk about on here is related to, to endo. And obviously today we're talking about hormonal skin problems. Um, but it doesn't really matter what someone has gone through. I feel like if the doctor or pharmacist or medical professional that they see um you know 
whoever they see just basically turns around and gives them kind of unacceptable um, choices and options or, or doesn't give them anything um, mm-hmm. and kind of leaves them with no hope. And it's the same. And I'm just like, okay, with endo, we know that there's this gender pain gap. We know women aren't believed, but like, is this just the same issue for everything that a woman presents with? Are we always going to be faced with, yeah, that's not great. Would a man have had the same reaction from that pharmacist? I wonder. Mm-hmm. And ironically, the pharmacist was a man and he had mm-hmm. beautifully clear skin. So had probably never gone through the same kinds of health concerns himself. Yeah. I think it it is it's it's hard when you look for help with a health concern sometimes because you if you don't have the background knowledge yourself it's really hard to navigate where do you find that help and who has the right training and expertise to give you the help that you need in that moment Mm -hmm. which I think is is lacking but I do see the healthcare service in the UK the NHS shifting somewhat but it is very slowly (laughs) it's slow Yeah, yeah yeah it's slow and it's as a result of enormous pressure that, you know, the public and charities are being like, this is unacceptable, you know? Like, yes, yes. There's a statistic, it's about 30 years usually before something is, for example, found in the scientific literature, yes. before yeah. it becomes a thing in healthcare practice. And just because it's so bureaucratic and there's so many laws and regulations to go through but it is a really slow process Mm -hmm. yeah it's it's crazy and even those you know those doctors may not be informing themselves even if it takes 30 years for that info to get into practice the doctors aren't they don't necessarily have the time to go and stay up to date with the research and just be aware like okay well this won't be in practice 30 years but here's you know here's the info Um, Absolutely. I have friends who are doctors and they tell me this all the time that they have no time. They have stacks of papers uh, to read through, but they never get time to read them. So Mm. it's very true. Yeah. So, you know, I guess the moral of this is we need to educate ourselves and be our own advocates as much as as much as possible, because we're almost kind of leading the way with our healthcare, really. Absolutely. And we also know our bodies better than anybody. And all those small changes that can happen that you know aren't usual for you. So, for example, if you usually have really clear skin and all of a sudden you're starting to show breakouts, that is your body trying to communicate with you in a way that it can because it can't speak to us, right? So it gives us symptoms to read and communicate. And it's so important to listen to those so that we can give our body what it's asking us for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I feel like I'm going to ask you a skincare question later on about myself, but (laughs) let's go into hormonal acne. And, you know, let's start with an introduction because I think that people often just think of acne, this is like one term thing. So what is hormonal acne specifically? And how Mm -hmm. can we tell like, what type of acne we're struggling with and how can we tell the difference between well is this classified as actual acne or is, or is this a breakout does that make sense like how do we know the difference yeah absolutely so a really easy way to tell if your acne is hormonally driven 
is it's usually going to be on the lower third of your face. So the lower cheeks and the jawline area. That's because this area is much more sensitive to hormonal changes. Now, the hormonal changes themselves that drive acne, acne is most commonly an androgen-mediated skin condition. So androgens are these hormones that are most commonly associated with male traits, but we all have androgen hormones, both females and males. And androgens love to communicate with our skin's oil-making glands. So within our skin, we have this certain type of cell that is called a sebocyte. And sebocytes make skin oil, which we as scientists call sebum. Now, sebocytes are very sensitive to androgen hormones. So when our body has higher levels of androgen hormones, our sebocytes will start to make more oil, but they will also start to proliferate, which means they divide and make more of themselves. So we're getting a lot more oil being created on our skin. People who are experiencing acne usually have 59% more sebum production than somebody who's not experiencing acne. Isn't that huge? I always think of that. It's massive. I always think that I'm such a chocoholic. And if somebody was giving me a chocolate (laughs) bar that was 59% bigger, I would have the biggest smile on my face because it's so much more. Yeah, that is. Yeah. So our skin's making so much more of this oil. And this oil is also unbalanced oil. So our skin sebum is this mixture of different oils, just like the oils you cook with, for example, coconut oil and olive oil. They look different because they're made up of different amounts and different types of oils. And our sebum is the same. We call it sebum, this one word, but it's a word for lots of different types of oils. And when our sebum is being overproduced, it tends to be unbalanced and it tends to be higher in more sticky oils like oleic acid and much lower in thinner oils like linoleic acid. And this causes pores to become very prone to clogging. Now it's super interesting actually, because acne being this androgen mediated skin condition, we tend to break out on our face. However, other parts of our body, they aren't breaking out. And actually the science shows us that our skin responds very differently in different parts of our body. So for example, when we have high levels of androgens that actually prevents sebocyte proliferation on the skin in our legs. So Mm. it's actually not increasing sebum production on our legs but our facial skin reacts in the exact opposite way it it does promote sebocyte proliferation so these oil making glands are overgrowing essentially so our skin facially is very sensitive to hormonal changes which is why it's usually the first area of our skin to show breakouts and symptoms of acne and symptoms that something is going on hormonally below the surface. And in terms of when is it acne and when is it just a breakout that I'm experiencing? So there are a couple of different um, ways to classify acne. The easiest way to classify is non-inflammatory acne and inflammatory acne. So inflammatory acne is what I eventually experienced where you're getting those very raised 
bumps, blind under the skin spots that almost sometimes don't come to a uh, to the surface. So you're not seeing like a white head on the top of them. Mm-hmm. Whereas non-inflammatory acne is more, if you've ever had spots on your forehead, these tend to be non-inflammatory where they're not inflamed and red and bulging and bumpy. Um, they are bumpy, but in a much less textural way. And um, yes, we have that non-inflammatory, inflammatory acne. And when does acne become acne and not just a breakout? There's not really a a black and white line for that. However, acne is defined as a chronic inflammatory skin condition. So chronic means that it's been happening for a long time. So if you have breakouts that are persistent and they seem to be going around in a cycle and you're never getting clear skin and it almost feels like your acne is getting worse, everything that you're trying to do, that is what I would define as acne. Whereas a breakout is more, I'm getting the occasional spot here and there, but they heal really quickly. And, you know, within two or three days, they're gone and I'm not really getting them persistently and I can have clear skin. That is what I would describe more as the difference between acne versus just a breakout here and there. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it certainly does. And I, I have like a couple of follow-up questions to that, if that's okay. Sure. So with, I mean, obviously I'm an um, endometriosis health coach, but my training is not just in endometriosis, but in hormonal health in general. Mm-hmm. So in one or, you know, one of the symptoms of like estrogen dominance, whether that's like the progesterone is low or the estrogen is actually excessive, could mm-hmm. also be you know, breakouts and, um, acne. So do you see that typically as well, or do you tend to see testosterone being the lead cause? Yeah. So you're very right. Estrogen dominance can be a cause of acne, but for a different set of reasons, there are, there are a lot of, uh, estrogen, what you might call detox supplements on the market that are pitched towards people with acne prone skin. However, in my experience, actually acne is very much usually for the set of androgen hormones versus it being estrogen. It's only a very small amount of women who will be experiencing estrogen dominance caused acne. Of I have a study in mind, actually it was published in 2019 and it reviewed over a thousand studies of patients with acne and found that overall they had lower serum estrogen levels when compared to patients without acne. And so there's a lot of support in the literature and also with what I see working with women one-to-one that it is usually androgen mediated um, for a very small amount of women. Estrogen dominance can cause breakouts. And this is because acne is an inflammatory skin condition. So anything that is adding to that inflammation burden within your body can cause symptoms of breakouts in your skin. Right. So potentially someone with, I mean, I see this a lot because I I do a lot of gut health work within endometriosis because, um, I mean, we know that there are dysbiosis, uh, dys, uh, gut changes, microbiome changes of endo, but also there's yeah. things like SIBO. So I tend to see that a lot of the skin conditions are also linked to inflammation in the gut yes. um, or just chronic inflammation in the in the body. So if someone's hormones were looking okay, you'd sort of 
look to, okay, what's happening from an inflammatory perspective? Absolutely. And actually what you mentioned there, where there's a upsetting of the balance of bacteria that live in the gut, the same is true of the skin when we present with symptoms of acne and breakouts. So just like we have a gut microbiome, which is that balance of good and bad bacteria, we also have a skin microbiome, which is this balance again of good and bad bacteria. And when we have symptoms of acne, there are three main changes that happen within our skin. And the first is that excessive sebum production, which we just talked about, that sebum is actually quite irritating for our skin. And it causes something called hyperkeratosis to happen, which you can think of like a skin thickening inside the pores. So Hmm. the pores become prone to clogging and they're full of oil, which is sticky. And this makes the perfect habitat for a certain bacteria on our skin called Siacnes. It's nicknamed acne bacteria and this acne bacteria starts to overgrow inside the pores because it's creating this perfect environment for it to do that now actually what the studies are showing is that it's not necessarily the acne bacteria being on your skin that's causing acne because everybody has acne bacteria on their skin it's kind of an unfortunate nickname because actually Mm -hmm. they don't always cause acne so me and you have acne bacteria on our skin right now and uh, it can be there quite happily with no symptoms. Actually, it's really healthy for it to be there. Um, But in when we present with symptoms of acne, it's more that loss of diversity in our skin's microbiome that's causing symptoms to occur. So all of a sudden, there's a huge thriving of acne bacteria within our pores and all the good skin bacteria have started to slip away from our skin And therefore, our skin's immune function senses something is wrong and it's presenting with those symptoms of breakouts that we see. Right. Okay. This is so interesting. So um, I have more more questions related to like the, I guess, mechanics of how this works. So Mm -hmm. with the chest, you know, people who have um, chest and back acne, Mm -hmm. because you were saying that the body like the skin responds in different places to different hormones so what would you typically see chest and back acne associated with because from a PCOS perspective um you know we do tend to see it on the chest and back as well and obviously we know that PCOS is associated with higher levels of androgens Mm -hmm. Yes. And it is the same set of changes for acne on the chest and the back, as well as on the face. Um, Usually the worst acne tends to be on the face because we, in a Western civilization, do things to our face that tends to make it much more easy for acne bacteria to propagate, whereas we don't tend to overtreat our chest and back as much. Um, Mm. But it is the same androgen-mediated breakouts on the chest and and the back and the face where the sebocyte glands are much more sensitive in those areas to increased androgen levels. Um, The reason that I mentioned that our face usually shows symptoms of acne much more easily than other areas of skin is because in our Western lifestyle, we do things like, for example, we wash our face twice a day and 
the washing of our face is actually really disruptive to our skin's biology. We associate washing of our skin with being a really healthy, hygienic thing to do. And especially when you have acne, all you want to do is wash your face if it's a typically typical form of acne in that you have a lot of oil, a lot of sebum on your skin. You just want to get it off. Um, But actually, when we wash our face, one of the biology traits of our skin we're changing is something called our acid mantle and this is describing that our skin has a ph level so ph is this measure of acidity and alkalinity and the scale goes from zero to 14 our skin when it's really healthy and happy needs to be slightly acidic it's averagely somewhere about 4.7 so it needs to be below that five and Being acidic helps your skin to resist attack and infection from certain bacteria. So it keeps your skin healthy and it keeps the good skin bacteria thriving. It's what I describe as your skin being a really comfortable couch for good skin bacteria. But actually, when we wash our face, so say we just wash our face, we splash it with water. Water has a pH usually somewhere above seven. And if you're in a hard water area, it has a pH level of over 8.5. And if you think about that difference, 4.7 to 8.5, when the scale tops at 14, right? It's really quite a difference. And the science shows us that as soon as you wash your face, the acidity level changes. So your skin becomes more alkaline. Now your skin has the ability to reacidify itself and that might take some minutes to an hour. But if your skin health is poorly, it takes much longer for that to happen. And the challenge is when your skin pH increases, that is the comfy couch for acne bacteria. And that's where they start to overgrow because the environment is so comfortable for them. And actually the good skin bacteria start to slip away. They find it much harder to hold on to your skin. And so then you add cleansing products into the equation. And especially when you have acne, a very common thing to do is turn to natural skincare because it has the perception that it's much gentler to skin and is going to just be much more supportive to your skin health. But actually, some natural skincare products really work against your skin's natural biology. Natural soaps being one example tend to have a very high pH level of somewhere between nine. Some soaps have been measured at pH 12. So they're very alkaline. And that is very disruptive of your skin's acid mantle. Again, you're raising that pH level and therefore you're increasing the populations of acne bacteria and you're reducing the populations of good skin bacteria. So our face can be very prone to showing symptoms because we tend to do things to our faces more often that disrupt our skin health versus those other areas of our body like our chest and our back. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. These natural patches last for 12 hours, so they bring you prolonged relief and can begin working on relaxing your muscles before the pain kicks in, so you're prepared even if your period comes during the middle of the day. Some people even find that wearing them a night before their period can really help soothe the inflammation in the area. To shop, just head to link in my show notes.
Okay, this is so fascinating. And I want to just give an example um, because I think it's just, you know, you hear like sometimes I think people hear about health and lifestyle and food and stuff and they're like, yeah, but not I don't necessarily believe it can have an effect, but I just want to give mm-hmm. an example of what's happened to me recently. So my listeners know that we've been transitioning into moving and kind of basically traveling. And um, I manage my blood sugar really, really well because it's part of managing my my endo and my conditions. Mm-hmm. But um, when I was growing up, I had, I never had cystic acne, but I had a lot of sp- Spots and I had really, really oily nose and blocked pores on my nose. Mm-hmm. And I also had spots on my back and chest. Again, not terrible, but enough that I was like conscious of it. Um, and I also had black hair around my belly button. I never had irregular cycles. Um, so I never really thought about PCOS, but it is something that I am thinking more about now, especially because PCOS is like so prevalent within the endometriosis community. Um, I've never been able to get rid of the like blackheads on my nose, but um, mm-hmm. my as I've like changed my lifestyle and worked on my gut and worked on my endo, my skin is is pretty much really good now. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we've been moving really, really stressed, and I've kind of reached for like the comfort foods that I never usually reach for anymore, like more sugar, or we've not been able to get hold of certain things, and there's been like added sugars and things, mm-hmm. and been really stressed, and I wasn't normally I'd pay more attention to my cycle I'm kind of always thinking about every day but because we were just like in such a stressful situation and on the go I just kind of casually noticed like I don't think I've ovulated Mm -hmm. um and then um my period showed signs of coming like early hours of this morning when I'm supposed to be on due on next week so firstly that's like crazy early for me Mm. so I don't think I ovulated my progesterone's dropped and in the past like week and a half I would say I've just had like spots on my back spots on my chest a couple of spots on my jawline and like four or five like whiteheads on my nose Mm -hmm. and I'm just like I look like a 13 year old it's insane Mm. and I'm I'm like oh my god I'm in like a really really hot country and I'm having to put on like concealer that's just sweating off but part of the issue is not just that my cycle's been all over the place because you know, we know this as part of PCOS management. If you want to keep your androgens down, part of the key way to manage your PCOS is through blood sugar management. Because when your blood sugar is off, your insulin is off, mm-hmm. testosterone rises. That can also, it doesn't for everyone, but, you know, some of that testosterone can be converted into estrogen, which then creates this estrogen dominance and high testosterone scenario and progesterone is mm-hmm. low. So I've got this combination of like, bigger boobs than I ever have right now as I'm coming up to my period so I know my estrogen is off and then these spots and I'm just like this is insane because I want to have clear skin in this really hot country and um the other thing is that I'm having to use I mean I always use SPF 50 because I have rosacea which is you would never know I have rosacea because I manage it really well but um you know I'm I'm like sweating and I'm using like I'm using a different SPF because it's the only one that I could get hold of. So like the the SPF 50 is very thick. It's supposed mm-hmm. to be non-pore clogging, but it's really not. That's a lie. <laughs> so I think I've just like reacted to this combination of like the hormonal the hormones being off and then coupled with hot sweaty weather 
50 s like really heavy spf and i've just created this teenage skin and it's just the perfect scenario because two weeks ago i was like hmm well about a week and a half i was like i don't think i've ovulated just goes to show Mm -hmm. you right what what these hormones do yeah absolutely like you mentioned there all of the there's lots of different ways to help the skin to stay clear and like you mentioned there's the skincare aspect of it as well as the hormonal the inside out and the outside in and it can all collide at a certain point which ends up in your body communicating to you with those symptoms like the big boobs breakouts on your skin your face your back um your chest so yeah it's all those puzzle pieces are are so important and even just traveling like you mentioned that you've traveled around that changes your microbiome as well and I always think as a scientist how fascinating and crazy that is that just you know traveling to a different country you are the product almost of the bacteria in your environment and that you're exposed to as well. And that's very much true for your gut and for your skin. Um, So that can have an impact on it as well as like you mentioned, the very hot weather that changes the environment on your skin. You might be more sweaty. Actually, the oil flows much more freely from your pores when it's warmer the oil tends to be wicked onto the surface of your skin in a greater proportion. So that can add to the reactivity of your skin in those moments as well. And it's like you mentioned, it can be a minefield with skincare to find the right products because a lot of products can increase the potential of your pores towards clogging, which is not helpful for acne prone skin. And especially where you mentioned the SPF 50. So out of all products in the skincare world, sunscreens are the hardest to formulate. They're such a pain. (laughs) And um, they, like you point out, SPF 50, one of the things is the higher the SPF level gets, your formula tends to get a lot thicker and stickier. And actually, from a scientific point of view, SPF 30 and SPF 50, there's not much of a difference between those in the percentage of UVA um, UVB rays that it protects against. So actually for acne prone skin, if you are using an SPF 30, I would recommend sticking with it. There's no need to go up that extra level to SPF 50 because it just tends to mean that either the formula is really thick and is going to be promoting pore clogging or that a lot of formulators will add alcohol into the formula. So you'll see the word alcohol DNAT, which means alcohol, which is denatured high up the ingredients list and alcohol, like uh, any solvent, if you imagine a kitchen cleaner, which is full of solvents, it cuts through grease. And that's what alcohol does. It's thinning the formula because it's cutting and thinning the oils and the fats in the product. And it will do that to your skin. So it will remove layers Mm. of the oils, which are forming your skin barrier. So it's having a detrimental impact on your skin health in that way. And that impact, unfortunately, it's one of these things where you might not notice it as soon as you start using the product, because our bodies are quite good at being resilient to certain things. But the more that you do it, the more it's it's harder for your skin to bounce back and heal its barrier again. And so 
eventually you show more symptoms from this and your skin barrier helps to keep the bad bacteria on the surface. So it's preventing infection. It's preventing dehydration. So moisture loss from your skin, which sounds simple, but it's really important because when your skin's well hydrated, everything works really well. All the enzymes in your skin, there's something called calcium gradient, which helps to promote proper exfoliation of your skin cells, which is very important for preventing pore clogging. So when your skin barrier isn't healthy, all these changes start to occur underneath and you might not notice a skincare product that you introduce a few months ago has caused this to happen because when you first started using it you didn't see those changes in your skin and that can be one of the most frustrating things it's when you're like I've not changed anything why am I breaking out Mm -hmm. Mm. yeah this is so interesting I mean there I mean there's so much for us to talk about today but I just really quickly SPFs are like the bane of my life because (laughs) I'm I'm very pale and Mm -hmm. I don't want to age. I also have to like use the 50 SPF on my rosacea. But now Mm -hmm. with what you're saying, I might use 30 SPF on my nose because that's like the one thing that I've never really been able to get on top of is like these blocked pores. Mm -hmm. Um, But do you, from an endo perspective, I also have to be careful with the type of um, SPF that I use because some of them have been linked to endocrine disruption. Mm -hmm. One of them has been specifically linked to endometriosis. Um, You know, more research needs to be done, but I'd rather be cautious. So there's this whole kind of minefield of like, well, (laughs) some of them are like poor clogging. Some of them are, you know, endocrine disrupting. And if we're trying to sort our hormones out through balancing our hormones, sort our skin out through balancing our hormones, we don't want to add something that could potentially affect them. Mm -hmm. So do you have any go-to SPF brands that you really love that you're like, okay, these actually work and don't clog your pores? Uh, yeah, that's a really good question. So like you point out, there are uh, there are actually two kinds of sunscreen filters. There are what we call organic filters or chemical filters, and there are physical filters or what can also be described as inorganic filters. And many of the chemical filters are being studied to have hormonal endocrine um, changes on the body but it can be challenging to interpret those studies to an extent because the studies are usually where they put a load of this ingredient directly in a petri dish and Mm. monitor changes that happen so the concentration is really important and sunscreen products are mostly designed to stick in the top layers of your skin otherwise they don't have that effect but if you want to be super Uh, kind of clean about the sunscreen that you're using then it's more the physical inorganic filters that you want to be focusing on so there's only two that are used in sunscreen formulas and it's zinc oxide and titanium dioxide and those um unfortunately (laughs) in a lot of formations leave a white cast can leave you looking like Casper the ghost um but Mm -hmm. there are there are many newer formulas which are much better and um help to say for example they've um they've micronized the zinc they've not it's not in a nano form but it's broken down into a smaller particle size and there are clever ways of dispersing those particles within a formula so that they are not giving that 
gloopy white cast finish on your skin um in terms of product recommendations I don't really like to mention product recommendations more freely because it's so important that person's skin type right how it interacts with their skin so for example if anybody experiences um like oily skin that's also dry sometimes a physical filter like zinc oxide you have to be quite careful with because zinc oxide is also what's called an astringent and astringents can helpfully help to reduce oil production um which helps when your skin's acne prone because like we talked about before where we have that excess oil the hyperkeratosis and the imbalanced uh population of bacteria in the skin those three changes if you reduce one of those changes you take out a point of that acne causing triangle in general acne symptoms start to heal so when you use something like zinc oxide which is an astringent reduces oil then acne symptoms can start to reduce however because it's an astringent it can also cause some dryness and some side effects in your skin so if you have a oily dry skin type you could use a zinc oxide sunscreen and it's just gonna cause some extra problems because of that so but but as a really simple hack to look for the in general kind of air quotes cleaner sunscreens would be your physical uh filters so zinc oxide and titanium dioxide okay thank you so so interesting. I'm still like never found an SPF that agrees with me, especially because I have really sensitive eyes. So all of them end up mm. making my eyes stream. I'm just like, oh, That's if I the- didn't do what I'd do, I'd start an SPF brand, I swear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm excited to see what formulas come out actually over the next years because the there's a lot more research into sunscreen formulation. It is one of those like I mentioned, it's the hardest product to formulate. And it's also a healthcare product. So in America, it's regulated very differently. And because of that, it means that the newer sunscreen filters or formulation changes, they aren't necessarily available in America until many, many years later, because they have to be qualified as a drug product. And that takes a lot of time, but also it's very expensive to do. So if a company had this new sunscreen product, then they have to go through all of the legalities of that and they have to pay the costs of it, which can be too much um, for a company to kind of fork out before they've made any profit from a new right. formula yeah so it's very sunscreen so is a very interesting area of yeah cosmetic chemistry it really is and I'm just waiting for them to make one that lasts longer than two hours because it's just like oh my god applying applying SPF to your face every two hours is just, just yeah. <laughs> deaf, deaf to pause basically yeah um Okay, so moving on from SPF, which I could talk about forever, um, I obviously want to get to the topical kind of um, treatments, but like a really quick rundown. If you're dealing with hormonal acne, I'm assuming your approach is not just to slap a load of creams on and Mm -hmm. focus on the topical kind of treatments. Are there some key areas that you would go to for healing hormonal acne overall? Yeah, absolutely. It's so important that you're working on inside out and outside in factors. So yes, like skincare, when you have acne, because you can see it from the outside, it makes so much sense that you want to treat it from the outside because it's your skin is this vital organ that you can see and 
you can see a spot and then you can do something for what you can see but actually spots are like icebergs <laughs> the, mm. the what you can see on your skin is like that top 10 percent, and the majority of that spot is deep below your skin and it's being caused by these hormonal changes that we spoke about before and I'm so glad that you mentioned blood sugar regulation because that is very very important for preventing breakouts when our bodies have elevated glucose levels in our bloodstream, we release the insulin hormone to pick that glucose molecule up out of our bloodstream and take it to our um, the cells in our body that hopefully will store it for us. And when we have this insulin hormone being released, it is actually able to communicate with our ovaries and it kind of talks to our ovaries and tells them to make more androgens. So in that way, we're elevating our androgen levels. That's really important to recognize because quite often women, and I definitely remember feeling like this, like you have no control over your sex hormones. They're just this thing and oh, I have acne. I'm just going to have to deal with it. But we have this ability to impact our androgen levels every day with each decision we're making at breakfast, lunch and dinner because that's regulating the amount of insulin hormone that we release. And you essentially, I describe this as if you had a food and you're very reactive to something like white bread, that's going to make your glucose levels go up. And then all of these insulin hormones, which I describe as like a taxi service. Mm-hmm. So they're coming into your bloodstream and they're picking up the glucose molecule and taxing it to your cells. If you have something like white bread, then your bloodstream is going to look like central London, where there are so many taxis about everywhere you look, so many cars in the streets and the roads. Whereas if you have something that keeps your blood glucose levels very steady, then all of a sudden it's like, and we spoke about, so I live near the Yorkshire Dales, and it's like being Mm. in the countryside where there's barely a taxi about. And so that's the difference between a whisper to your ovaries to say, hey, make more androgens, and literally a scream to say, hey, over there, pump out androgens. And then all of a sudden you're getting this increase in symptoms of acne. So blood sugar regulation from an inside out point of view. It's super important to be pairing that up with a a good anti-acne skincare routine. Actually, when when I work with women, I work on all these factors, so the internal factors and the external factors. But when it comes to creating that skincare routine for somebody... I'm not necessarily looking to get rid of the acne. So I'm not, I'm not looking to use anti-acne skincare products. Most anti-acne skincare products actually are working against your skin health to temporarily reduce symptoms and they, they work short term and then long term, they're very likely to make acne worse, or you'll end up with side effects in your skin, like dryness, redness, sensitivity. So what my, my aim is to do is support the skin's natural biology so that it's really healthy and happy and can actually resist symptoms of acne naturally. And that is more of a long-term solution topically to preventing symptoms of acne and to getting clear skin because your skin is resisting it naturally. A lot of anti-acne skincare products will aim to kill off bacteria on your skin so they're killing off the acne bacteria that are overgrowing and when they do that they're not just killing off those bad acne bacteria bad in air quotes they're killing off 
all of your good skin bacteria as well at different extents and different levels. So you're losing the healthiness of your skin as well as culling off those acne bacteria. We describe your skin is like a playground and the playground has some teachers in it, which you can think of like the police of the playground. And then your playground has, you know, the good kids, the geeky kids, which I was definitely one of, (laughs) (laughs) the rebellious kids. Um, And all these maybe kids that love to play in the sandpit and kids that like to skip. And so all these kids are doing different things in the playground. And that's exactly like your skin. It has all these bacteria that do different things. And if you just come in and you wipe out all the bacteria or you say to all the kids get out of the playground you're going from one extreme to the other extreme your skin needs bacteria to stay happy and healthy bacteria do lots of amazing things for your skin they help your skin to make ceramides which keep your skin barrier really happy and healthy and your skin hydrated some bacteria are anti-inflammatory um some help to acidify our skin so to keep its ph level really happy and healthy so we definitely don't want to be killing off all the bacteria that live on your skin because you're not supporting your skin's long-term health and that is a lot of anti-acne skincare products that's their main aim to kill off those acne bacteria which is why I'm I'm not a fan of that type of skincare product okay no that makes so much sense so in terms of would those be the issues and pitfalls of like conventional medicine like treatment for acne if someone was to go to a doctor or dermatologist would those be kind of working in the same way yes so the one of if you're going to visit the doctor and ask for acne help the product you're most likely to be prescribed and it's it's most likely to be prescribed because it's recommended as a frontline treatment by the American Academy of Dermatology it is benzoyl peroxide and benzoyl peroxide is working in exactly that way. It is an oxidant. So like in skincare, we have antioxidants, which are anti-aging. <laughs> benzoyl peroxide is the opposite of that. So it's an oxidant and it causes the killing off of bacteria that are on our skin for this reason. Uh, so benzoyl peroxide, quite often you'll have side effects like redness, skin sensitivity, uh, drying of your skin, depending on the concentration of what you're using, that can be quite extreme. Um, So benzoyl peroxide is one of those treatments that is working against your skin's long-term health. Uh, Other treatments that you might be offered if you went to see a doctor or dermatologist, some can work more differently. So from a topical point of view, Benzoyl peroxide is often prescribed with clindamycin, which is an antibiotic. Um, And that again is, yeah, killing off the bacteria that are living on your skin. Another product which is sometimes prescribed is uh, tretinoin. Um, And this is, this product works somewhat differently and it can be helpful but it's a very potent active ingredient. Tretinoin is a retinoid and it works to help reduce symptoms of acne because it is reducing oil production in your skin. So it helps to turn down the volume on sebocytes. So when you reduce that oiliness of your skin, your pores are no longer the perfect environment for acne bacteria to overgrow in. Now, 
Tretinoin topically, it is a very potent retinoid that is also very irritating to skin. So it can have more extreme side effects and can make the skin very dry. It's definitely something that I would prefer somebody use over. There's an oral version called isotretinoin, which most people know as Accutam. Um, however, mm, yeah, I've heard of that. Have you? Yeah. So Accutan is the is a brand name for that drug compound, which is isotretinoin, and it is essentially a high dose of form of of vitamin A. It's working with those receptors in your body, and it reduces the amount of oil that you see the sites make, but it can also go as far as to kill them off. And short term, so if somebody takes that drug compound isotretinoin or Accutan, then their whole body is subject to this active ingredient and it's very, very potent. And they can go through having all these extreme symptoms of dry skin like you've never experienced before. So literally your skin is cracking, drying out at the corners of your lips are cracking. You will have to use a skincare routine that is incredibly occlusive. So that means that you're kind of putting an extra barrier on top of your own skin to help form a skin barrier because your skin barrier is so poorly. Um, and that is a symptom most people who take isotretinoin will experience just because of how the drug compound works, but it can be as extreme as I have worked with women who've taken Accutan in the past and they've ended up with chronically dry skin. So they've gone from having right, yeah, one, one set of skin concerns mm. to the extreme other end. And I know when you have acne, all you want to do is get away, from, get rid of it. So when somebody offers you this magic solution, so tempting to want to do it, especially if you're not having any other solutions uh, given to you. But you can then end up in dry skin when you've had oily skin. It sounds like oh, I'd much rather have dry skin than oily skin and acne prone skin to deal with, but actually dry skin. So our skin oils lubricate our skin so that we don't feel it. And when our skin is chronically and severely dry, the lubrication is gone. And so every time, for example, you're moving your face, you're conscious of it. You can literally feel it. And when you have like the cracks at the side of the mouth, that's painful as well. So when you're speaking, there's that pain there. So it's one set of skin concerns that you're switching over for a second set of skin concerns. So I don't know if you can tell, but I'm very much not a fan yeah. of those uh, medications. No, and I get it because like, you know, it's the same for conventional treatment for um, endometriosis. It's like, well, your options are other than other than surgery. It is, you know, hormone, certain hormonal birth controls, the induced menopause, uh, medically induced menopause, whether that's like someone has a hysterectomy, which is not a treatment, it's a whole other conversation. But, um, you know, maybe they get put on Zolodex or Olissa, which um, temporarily induces menopause, mm. or really, really strong painkillers. And all of those some, you know, for some people, I'm never black and white. So for some people, they work, some people, they're necessary. Mm -hmm. For some people, those side effects are worth it. But it's really just swapping one set of side effects for another set of side effects. And it's just an, it's an unacceptable solution. Mm -hmm. There has to be better. And it's not dealing with the root cause. Yeah. Um, and it can make people so, so sick. And it's just like, well, you know, people 
are really, really fatigued with their endo. And they're like, well, and they have so much pain. It's like, okay, we'll take these really strong painkillers that are going to make you so drowsy that you can't drive. And it's like, Mm -hmm. not going to help the fatigue. Or, you know, someone ends up having terrible um, hormonal symptoms from the result of being on an induced menopause. And they have bone density loss, like all of these really unacceptable, big, big, serious problems, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just that, and then you have these doctors being like, oh, no, no, don't take, don't take quercetin and curcumin. Don't make lifestyle, like health changes, like diet changes. There's no evidence behind diet changes. There is, by the way. They just haven't looked at it. Um, So, I mean, there's literally one study that shows that um, diet is just as effective at symptom management as um, hormonal contraception post surgery for endometriosis mm-hmm. just as effective mm-hmm. and it's like what but I've had every client who comes to me who's currently about to have a surgery is like well my my surgeon says that after the surgery I have to go on birth control or I have to go on Zolidex or I have to go on Alyssa to keep the endo at you know to keep the endo symptoms from return and it's like read the fucking paper yeah <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's crazy isn't it and there's that well-known quote let food be thy medicine and how mm-hmm. true is that turning out to be I mean I can speak to this from a slightly different angle because I did work in the drug industry for a while and it you are trained I think as a, a westerner we are trained to believe that medication is the only intervention that works and that's more drilled into you when you're in the pharmaceutical industry and the pharmaceutical industry for example they fund the education of doctors I mean my degree actually was part funded by a pharmaceutical company because they invested in the university department that I trained in so it yeah it goes (laughs) it goes quite deeply and And I remember myself being actually really resistant to those more natural changes, like, for example, the diet changes, just because of the environment that I'd been taught within. And like you say, the research is out there. There are published science papers to show the impact that food has on our body and how we can change our hormones by the choices we're making food-wise. It is... I often feel as a scientist, like we're relearning the old way of living. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> that our ancestors knew intuitively what to do. Yeah, in our Western world, we need to prove it with science to understand why and how, which I think definitely makes sense because we want proof that things work. But we tend to have scientific findings that lead us back ultimately to the way of life or the way of eating that we had hundreds of years ago, which Mm -hmm. is an interesting thought. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, I think what's like the most upsetting is just like some, you know, I, uh, I know I don't even, I can't appreciate because I I don't know what it feels like, but I have a very heavy caseload, a very complicated, um, you know, endo cases. So I have some, some idea, but obviously doctors are under a lot of pressure but what I hate is that when they make really aggressive um defensive statements like I had a a client who was told um don't worry about you know all that health stuff just eat as much junk food as you want oh my goodness this is an inflammatory disease right like 
it's just that's like telling someone with diabetes to go and eat as much sugar as they want like mm. why the hell would you say that that's incredible isn't it I I've heard that type of story myself so many times I even had I was just talking with a friend um uh, well we'd been talking about this quite quite frequently over the last years but more natural methods of birth control so like the fertility mm. awareness method yeah that's what yeah that's what mm-hmm. I use and um I remember actually when I had my I used to use the coil before I went on to fam and I had a real I don't know if you could call it an argument but it was definitely a heated discussion with my doctor where I think she just wasn't aware of fam she didn't understand Mm -hmm. it she didn't know how how it is proven is you know there are FDA regulated versions of fam um that are proven to work just as effectively as, for example, condoms or the birth control pill. Yeah, and yeah. she was doing everything in her power to dissuade me from having my coil removed. And if I didn't, if I wasn't educated in FAM myself and I understood it from a scientific point of view, she would have scaremongered me into not having the coil removed. And my friend, this is exactly what she experienced when she went to the doctor. So we've talked about fam ourselves before so she knows a little bit about it and she wanted to explore it but when she went to her doctor it it was the case of it doesn't work it's not a viable method of birth control in just giving this brick wall to pursuing Mm -hmm. it and it's if you don't have the the knowledge, the background knowledge to be able to stand up to your doctor, because we see doctors, it's like that psychological perception of somebody in a position of power, like a policeman yes. or a doctor. And you think that they, they know everything. They have all the knowledge to help you with. But I think as you get older, you start to realize actually we're all just human beings and mm-hmm. you only learn what you've been exposed to. And unfortunately our healthcare system in the UK is funded by the pharmaceutical companies. And so it ends up ultimately being the drug products they create that our doctors are recommending because that's what they're trained to prescribe. And yeah, it's 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 a frustrating situation sometimes, but thank goodness for the internet because now yes. <laughs> It means that we can be our own advocates and uh, research uh, and be exposed to all these different studies and findings in the field of acne and endometriosis and PCOS. I'm so glad you said that because obviously you're a scientist and like you said, like you've trained, you're not a doctor, but you've gone kind of down a similar route of training. And I think that a lot of times people hear like, oh, the pharmacist, like the pharmacists are paying for the funding. The pharmacists are kind of like controlling the doctors and people think it's like a conspiracy theory. And so to hear someone who's done, you know, you've done the training in, in drugs and all of the science and you're like, no, they, they funded us and this is what's influencing. It's not necessarily in, I mean, from, I guess, from the pharmacist point of view, it is, um, I don't know what the word is. It's it's in their favor. They are they are funding studies, certain studies versus other studies, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, but from the perspective of a doctor, they don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. So a doctor is not being educated. They have some basic training on nutrition and things, right? But they don't necessarily have the same understanding or education that I have on well, what happens to endometriosis like 
to the cycle or the hormones when you mess with blood sugar mm-hmm. or when you have a very inflammatory diet or, um, you know, pain with endometriosis can be influenced by the pelvic floor. All of these different mm-hmm. things that they may not be educated on because they are told this is the way, mm-hmm. the drugs are the way. And, you know, I um, just to, you know, just final point, I've got a, a new client who hasn't got a diagnosis of endometriosis yet, but it's every doctor, every surgeon she's seen, including some of the top top surgeons in America, are like, yeah, we're very, very sure. But um, she didn't want to go ahead with surgery yet. And so she was looking, she's working with me um, on, you know, lifestyle, nutrition factors and stuff. But she's seen one surgeon who basically put her on Orlissa, which induces the menopause. And it's, it's one of the most risky drugs you can take for endo. Mm-hmm. They wanted to put her on it for six months. And then if it went well, they wanted to put her on it for two years. This is a drug that actually in the research, they've, they've only kind of tested it for six months, mm-hmm. um, at least from the research that I've seen. And the recommendation is like six months and like no kind of no longer. This doctor wanted her to go on it for two years. It has like a serious, wow. like serious side effects. And she doesn't actually have a definitive diagnosis of endometriosis yet. Mm-hmm. So Thank they're goodness. kind they're prescribing her something that is for endometriosis. That is the most kind of, it's the kind of the highest level drug you could go to, right? The most serious, most mm-hmm. highest side effects. And they're going to that first. And like, I spoke to Dr. Drummond, who's my, um, she's my tutor. And she was like, look, what you need to understand with the US is like, the doctors might know it, but they're incentivized to prescribe like these drugs first. Thankfully, mm-hmm. she then like, she then went to one of the best endometriosis surgeons who was like, absolutely not. Like, <laughs> you need to come off the Orlissa now. Mm-hmm. Um, we have to wean her off it first and get her body ready. Um, so that's what we're doing. Like I'm, I'm working, you know, kind of through my client, but with the surgeon, the the surgeon knows what I'm doing and thank God she is, she's written a great book on endometriosis and surgery and actually preparing your body for surgery. So she doesn't believe that you dive into surgery first. She's like, no, get inflammation down, get your pelvic floor, right, get your Mm -hmm. gut fixed and then go to the surgery so that you can actually reap the rewards of the surgery and you have the best surgery possible rather than more complications as a result of the surgery. Mm -hmm. But it just was so scary that this person hasn't actually got a definitive diagnosis and she was getting prescribed the most hardcore drug that you could take for the longest time that you could. I mean, I've I've never heard of anyone else prescribing it for two years. I mean, it just sounds, Mm. I'm not a doctor. So someone, a doctor could be like, well, actually some people do have it for two years, but I've never heard of it prescribed for two years. I mean, that even, even just from prescribing something for two years without reviewing it in between, it's quite a big assumption to make that you'd want somebody to be on any drug for two years. That's, that's, that is shocking. They wanted her to be on it at six months, and at six months, if it was going well, two years. There you go. <laughs> <Right. laughs> like, oh, what? That's insane. But anyway, okay. So let's wrap this up. I'd love to hear from you know your perspective. Are there some? Because a lot of my listeners, you know, I'm not I'm not anti conventional medicine, but if we mm-hmm. can treat something naturally, and if we can treat from the root cause, great. Mm-hmm. We've talked about root causes, but from a topical perspective, are there some natural treatments that you you prefer or ones that we should be aware you know wary of yeah so absolutely if 
one to be super aware of that you shouldn't be using for acne natural treatments it's been quite trendy over the last years coconut oil so coconut oil is something I remove from anybody's skincare routine if they're acne prone when they're using it coconut oil has some antibacterial benefits because it contains a fatty acid called lauric acid it has this antibacterial action and so therefore it theoretically can be helpful for acne prone skin because it's helping to reduce that overgrowth of acne bacteria. However, <laughs> lauric acid is actually extremely comedogenic. So comedogenic is this word that means it has a potential to block your pores and the comedogenicity scale goes up to five and lauric acid rates a four out of five. So it's highly Damn. comedogenic. Yeah. And coconut oil is about 50% lauric acid. So it's not even like there's just a tiny smidgen in coconut oil. It's almost half of the coconut oil itself so coconut oil is definitely one to avoid in terms of some active ingredients that can be really helpful that are natural I really love green tea actually for acne prone skin green tea is a very effective antioxidant so it contains this compound called EGCG for short and for long epigallocatechin gallate, which is a bit of a mouthful. Jeez. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and that's very helpful for acne prone skin because when we're making all this excess oil, that oil tends to have a lower antioxidant level, which means the sebum becomes very prone to oxidizing. That is troublesome because we know that when sebum is oxidized, it becomes more blocking to our pores. So it might not, it's not necessarily a skincare product that's blocking your pores, but it's actually the sebum itself that's going off and blocking your pores. So using products like, for example, something that has green tea in it, which is a very potent antioxidant, it helps to prevent that sebum oxidation, oxidation from happening. It also has another benefit there is a enzyme that your skin contains. So I don't know if you know this lock and key analogy of enzymes from school. Mm. Do you remember it? So an, an enzyme is like the lock and yes, yeah. um, it will only fit certain keys. So this enzyme in your skin called 5-alpha reductase, it's an enzyme that basically testosterone fits into and then it will initiate a reaction to turn that testosterone into a much more potent androgen called dihydrotestosterone or DHT for short. It's so funny you're talking about this because in my mem so I have a membership and last mm -hmm. night we had a talk on PCOS mm -hmm. and we were literally talking about this exactly <laughs> and talking about using green tea for it so go, oh, go ahead wow. it's just it's just I love that you're talking about yeah, it. Yeah not only was a podcast recording meant to be this Friday <laughs> that's so funny um so yeah this enzyme um once you have that much more potent DHT androgen it's about five to ten times more potent than testosterone and so it's propagating that excess oil production the sebum production in your skin and propagating the sebocyte proliferation which worsens the cycle of acne now green tea can get in the way of that enzyme so essentially it's kind of like hey five alpha reductase come over here it's distracting it so that it's mm -hmm. not turning that testosterone into 
DHT and that helps to relieve symptoms of acne. So green tea, I really like. Another common one for a more natural skincare remedy for acne. So when I say this is a remedy for acne, it's not going to be the thing that heals your breakouts and your acne, but it can definitely be helpful. So any plan that I create for somebody I work with in my acne clinic, it's confronting many acne triggers, like we've spoken about internal factors as well as external factors. So when I'm saying this is a remedy for acne, it's a supportive remedy for acne, but it's not going to be the thing alone that helps to reduce and heal acne symptoms. Um, Manuka honey is quite interesting because it's a certain type of honey that contains an active called MGO for sure. And for long, it's methylglyoxal. And this ingredient has a antibacterial benefit. Um, Manuka honey also has some anti-inflammatory benefits. So because acne is a chronic inflammatory skin condition, you can see how it's helpful from that point of view. Um, Manuka honeys I like because they have a grading system called the unique Manuka factor. And that is measuring the amount of MGO in that honey, which is important because the more of it, the better the effects. So it goes from plus five to 25 plus. Um, and honey has also actually been shown in studies to help improve wound healing time. So that may be because of this antibacterial, anti-inflammatory action, but it also is what's called a humectant moisturizer. A humectant moisturizer attracts water molecules to itself and locks onto them. So it holds that water within your skin, which is really helpful. So it's helping your skin to stay hydrated. It also has a pH level that is very near the pH level of our skin. So we talked about that being averagely 4.7 when skin is very healthy. And honey uh, is usually somewhere between pH 3.5 to 5.5. So it's helping to keep that acidity level in your skin. So I do really like um, honey and manuka honey for that. Um, probably actually the most common common natural remedy that I'm, I've not got to yet, tea tree oil. So tea mm. tree oil is often recommended as a natural skincare product for acne tea tree oil you have to be so careful with because you can make the mistake of just applying it neat to skin so essential oils like tea tree oil should never be applied neat to skin it's going to cause burning sensitivity redness um tea tree oil can be recommended for acne because it has antibacterial benefits again it contains an ingredient called terpenin 4o which is the antibacterial active different types of tea tree oil have different levels of that active ingredient. So again, you have to be quite careful with natural products because some products might control, control, contain negligible amounts of this ingredient, whereas other versions contain high amounts. Um, it's not necessarily one that I'm a fan of because it's basically working in the same way as benzoyl peroxide, but it's just a natural version. In fact, there, there was a study that was published in the 90s that compared tea tree oil, I think it was at 5% versus benzoyl peroxide at 5%. And it was shown to have the, the same benefits for clearing inflamed acne lesions as benzoyl peroxide. Benzoyl peroxide was slightly better at clearing non-inflammatory acne lesions. Um, 
There were side effects for both products, but there were fewer side effects for the tea tree oil. I think 40, it was roughly like 40% side effects for tea tree oil and 80% side effects for the benzoyl peroxide. So it has, it has been studied to be very helpful for temporarily reducing symptoms of acne. Um, however, there are side effects of using it. And it is, tea tree oil is what's called a weak sensitizer. Uh, in cosmetic chemistry sensitizers are these ingredients that you can be using for a long time and your body doesn't react to it but your body is remembering every time that you use it it's filling up a sink essentially and once that sink overflows then all of a sudden you get an allergic reaction and symptoms in your skin yeah but because it's a sensitizer what that means is once you've caused that reaction to happen then you're hypersensitive to this ingredient. And anytime you come into contact with you, even a little bit, you get that very severe reaction to it straight away. So Mm. tea tree oil is a mild sensitizer, but actually as tea tree oil oxidizes, like any cosmetic active or skincare ingredient, they go off slowly. But as tea tree oil oxidizes, it becomes a stronger sensitizer. So you also have to be, if you do choose to use a product like tea tree oil, have to be quite careful about the freshness of it um but i don't really recommend tea tree oil as a solution or as a supportive anti-acne skincare ingredient because it's not supporting your skin's ideal health it's killing off bacteria to reduce symptoms of acne in your skin and that's not a long-term solution to acne care okay that's so interesting so I, it's totally selfish question. I'm trying to think what the what have I got on me because, I mean, I have like um, uh, acids, right? I have a very mm-hmm. gentle cleanser. Mm-hmm. I have hyaluronic acid. I use a very mild retinol cream for my eye. I have all of this stuff, like, but um, I'm just thinking there's green tea in this Airbnb and there is honey. And this is so funny. When I started sorting my skin out many, many years ago, and I was like, oh, I'm going all natural with everything. I washed my face with Manuka honey and turmeric. Mm -hmm. And then I would, and then I would tone it with, um, green tea that I'd like freshly boiled. And then I would let cool and then I'd put it on a cotton pad and wipe it over my face. Mm -hmm. And then the only, facial that I've ever had in my life was when I was doing it she was like what are you using your skin is so clean (laughs) but um I have histamine issues so I was like really I was always always sneezing from the honey turmeric face wash I had to stop using it but I'm thinking now what to put on these spots like I've got green tea in the house and honey should I just like use that on my face like on these spots yeah you absolutely can so yeah, the green tea, um, stewing it and creating uh, green tea and applying that to your skin on a pad. And the Manuka honey, you can use that like a face mask, but you could use it just on the concentrated area. It's going to mm-hmm. be helpful um, for helping your skin to heal from those breakouts uh, more quickly, for sure. Okay, amazing. And with the green tea, could you... I've always, I'm very, very sensitive to caffeine. So I always, I have to like move away from green tea. But if you wanted to use like a supplement to try and get on top of the androgen problem, Mm -hmm. um, could you use like a green tea extract supplement? Because from my understanding, I think some of them have the caffeine removed or the extract doesn't have the caffeine. Is that right? 
Yeah, there are, there are, I actually, um, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I would assume there are extracts that have the caffeine removed, just like you can get decaf green tea. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and because the caffeine isn't the active ingredient, there'd be no reason for it necessarily to be there in the supplement. It's not needed um, to be there, but yes, like you point out, because it has that anti-androgen benefit, it's definitely a supplement that can be helpful for acne being an androgen mediated skin condition. Okay. Amazing. And green tea is actually helpful for like the inflammation associated with endo as well. So Mm. beneficial. Um, yeah, you know, we don't want to just go straight to supplements. We want to work on that blood sugar and Mm -hmm. inflammatory diet and the carbs of the gut. But I do tend to find in this chronic illness community, we do need a little bit of help from, you know, a handful of carefully selected, um, supplements, but, um, yeah, like that, that jumpstart, to your exactly. car yeah the jack exactly <laughs> yeah yeah and actually you know a lot of practitioners like to do supplements last but what I tend what I find sometimes is people are in such a their body is in such an emergency state and their mind is in an emergency state that they're just like I just want to get out of pain mm-hmm. that sometimes I will be like okay look let's do some high dose ginger it's a really in fact uh, effective pain reliever just to get them out of or you know whatever it might be curcumin quercetin depends on what they're presenting with but just to get them to the point where they're actually well enough to even contemplate looking after their blood sugar mm-hmm. or their nutrition right sometimes it's like okay yeah supplements aren't the st- they're not it's not ideal to just mask with a supplement but if someone can't even think straight because they their symptoms are so bad they're in so much pain then just give them a bloody supplement and mm-hmm. let them get out of pain. And then let's do some work like on the root causes, you know? Absolutely. Because especially in that beginning, all you want to do is see a reduction in your symptoms. Yeah. And that almost gives you the motivation, like you say, to keep going with those extra pieces of the puzzle, like the blood sugar management. And there's that age old saying you can't out supplement a bad diet but as long as you're working on both of those together that's the important part of the equation yeah absolutely okay well Cheryl this has been a fascinating fascinating um, conversation I've Mm. loved it and I'm gonna get off this call and go and put honey and green tea on my face (laughs) um, because I'm like this is my first weekend in France and I just look like just yeah I'm 13 again so um I'm gonna do like a green tea honey mask on my chest and back and Mm. nose (laughs) um so thank you so much where can people find you and how can they work with you my pleasure um yeah so my website honestyfeelskin.co.uk you can find me there I'm also on instagram at honestyforskin and I have an online course called acne warrior And I also work with people one-to-one in my acne clinic um, to help heal from acne. So you can, we can drop the links potentially in the show notes. Yeah, absolutely. Those for people to find. Yeah. So that's where you can find me. Okay, perfect. So I will add those links in. I think I should be able to find them um, myself. Um, and I'll put those in but thank you so much this has been such an amazing call all right we'll take care show and I will speak to you soon thank you you too bye 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 so that's it thank you so much for listening if you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it 
um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website, which is www.thisendolife.com. And you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website. Um, I've put the link in my show notes. It's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis. As always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. It really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world. Thank you.